I think we should feel optimistic. Um, certainly what we have tried to present or what we've found is that the situation is not one of cities spiraling out of control. It's not one of migration bringing cities to a standstill. Mm. Um, and it's to emphasize the adaptations that can and do happen. Welcome to the Grattan Institute podcast channel. Welcome to the Grattan Podcast Channel. I'm Paul Austin, the editor at Grattan Institute, and today we're discussing the state of Australia's cities. Australia's economy has been growing continuously for a quarter of a century, and our population, especially in the capital cities, is booming. Sydney, and Melbourne in particular, are growing faster than most other cities in the developed world. But it's not just the big two, Brisbane, the Gold Coast, the Sunshine Coast, Canberra, Darwin, they're all getting bigger in a hurry. The impression, particularly from a lot of media reporting, is that Australia is suffering from growing pains, that we're not really ready for this influx of people. Well, to test some of these theories and impressions and to talk about how our cities are coping and how they might do better in future... I'm joined by Grattan Institute's Transport and Cities Fellow, Hugh Petruni. Hugh, welcome. Thanks very much, Paul. Now, Hugh and our Transport and Cities team have just produced a fascinating new report with the title, Remarkably Adaptive Australian Cities in a Time of Growth. I'm intrigued by that phrase, remarkably adaptive, and we'll get to that. But first, Hugh... Tell us what motivated you to embark on this report. Oh, well, Paul, it was um, exactly as you've sort of outlined there, really, that um, cities, our cities have grown really fast and we're reading ever more stories in the newspapers about how bad things are out there on the roads and on the trains. Mm. And then we're hearing from politicians, you know, ever bigger and bigger ideas about or ever bigger and bigger projects that they've got in mind to help bust the congestion or bust the crowding. Mm. And so we, what we wanted to do was, in that context, to have a look at the richest available data source that we had, which is from the 2016 census. So it's a great opportunity to mm-hmm. make the most of that data and to have a look at some of these questions. And um, so obviously, yeah, uh, that, that was the motivation, really, fast, fast growth and the opportunity to look at some, to take things back to the data, essentially. Okay, so you've drilled into the data and what generally are the messages or the findings? What have you found, Hugh? Yeah, so the the report's actually got a lot in it. So, um, but I think I think probably the, the the main things that would be worth highlighting today would be that, firstly, to date, uh, the impact of rapid population growth on commuting distances and times has has been, as the title of our report suggests, remarkably benign. Or remarkably, our cities have been remarkably adaptive in the face of the population growth. Mm. And despite all the media coverage that we that we read about um, and, and hear about, the claims very much the opposite. Um, and then so we went on to have a look at exactly why might we why might we be seeing this remarkably benign impact. And 
There are a couple of factors that popped up that would be worth mentioning now. So first of all, the spread of jobs across the cities. So that's very much different to a conventional model that people often have, which is where our cities are very monocentric and everyone's crammed into the one spot. Mm -hmm. So we had a look at that and and what we found was that jobs are very spread out and uh, increasingly spread out. And we also looked at the individual adaptations that people make in the face of population growth. So whether that's uh, changing job or work site or working from home more often, moving house, um, changing the method of travel to work is obviously a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had a look at that as well. And then and then I suppose the other thing that would be worth mentioning now is that uh, we also looked at building new infrastructure and, and what, we've, what we've seen built over the recent period and how how much that has played a role or not been a big factor, as, as it turns out, in the adaptation story. Okay, so let me unpack some of these things and, and ask you to convince me, Hugh. <laughs> You've talked about the benign impact of population growth in our cities. So convince me, what do you mean by that and what's the evidence of this benign impact? So... Two data sources in particular. Um, The first is that the commuting distances that you can get out of the census, Mm -hmm. um, which showed very, very little change between 2011 and 2016. Um, And then the second second, um, piece of evidence is from the HILDA data set, which is from the Melbourne Institute, the Household Income and Labor Dynamics in Australia data set which um, asks people every year uh, about their travel times to work. And we see there um, fairly stable commute times in all cities. Um, Admittedly, we do see some smallish increases in long commutes, but very much it's a broadly stable picture, um, certainly compared to the the idea that we've grown or the reality that we've grown – at, at very fast rates by international developed city standards. Mm, so there are a couple of um, perhaps surprising findings. Uh, tell me more about the, the spread of jobs across the city because when I catch the train to work each morning, it's very easy to get the impression, Hugh, that everyone is heading into the CBD. Yeah, and a lot of people are, and they are the major job centres, but the reality is that they only contain around 15% of a city's jobs. Um, and when you think about it then, you've got to have the job. Every other job is somewhere else, and that's overwhelmingly the majority of jobs. Okay, so say that again. The CBDs of our major cities contain only about 15% on average of the jobs in those cities. That is exactly right. Fantastic. And then you've also got, beyond that, you've got what people, certainly in Sydney and Melbourne, would understand as these non-CBD job centres. So Mm -hmm. in particular, you might think of Parramatta. Mm -hmm. Sydney's second CBD. Yeah, supposedly. Although what what we saw in the the job share of Parramatta is that it's got a a little over 2% of Sydney's jobs, Mm -hmm. so not much at all, and nor has that changed over the period that we looked at from 2011, the census in 2011 to the census in 2016. So contrary to the idea that it's um, it's Boomtown in a place like Parramatta, mm. really what it's doing is basically growing. In fact, it's growing slightly more slowly than the rest of the Sydney city. What about the Boomtown of Melbourne and the area around Monash Uni, which is surely another second city in Victoria? Yeah, so... I, 
often sort of seen that way um, and is seen as a as a part of the city where uh, there's the opportunity to build it up in terms of its employment share. But mm. again, it's it's very much the same story as for Parramatta. In fact, it has it has a smaller share of Melbourne's jobs. It has mm. around 1.7%. And again, that's remained constant across those five years. So where jobs have grown fast, they have grown fast in some of the inner city areas, mm-hmm. although not all CBDs. CBDs in Melbourne and Sydney have grown faster than the um, share than the than the growth rate of the broader city, mm-hmm. um, and some suburbs around there have done that too, but not all of them. And in fact, where we do see the fastest growth is typically in the outer areas, and that's very much true for the sort of mid-sized capital cities of Brisbane, Perth, and Adelaide. So that's where the jobs are. They're not concentrated in the CBD, but they're dispersed across. Our major cities. Yeah, they're dispersed. It's not to say the jobs are in any one place, mm-hmm. I think, you think is the main point. Tell me about this, another phrase that I'm interested in that you've used in the report and in this conversation, Hugh, individual adaptations to population growth. So what do you mean by that? How do people adapt? Yeah, well, well that, that's precisely it. Um, and so whether that's somebody um, moving house or whether that's somebody changing the way they get to work mm-hmm. or the the, um, the means by which they get to work, whether it's a car or a train or a bike. Um, so we had a we had a close look at, at that as well. Um, and so for, to hone in, for example, on, on the um, changes in the methods of travel, mm-hmm. that was an interesting story because while at an aggregate level, things look fairly stable. So if you look at the... Um, the percent of people who travel by car, and car is the dominant way people get to work in all Australian cities, mm-hmm. um, you see that it is very stable over that five-year period. Um, in Melbourne and Sydney, you see um, it declining slightly. So the percent of people who got to work by a car in um, Sydney fell from 67% to 64% over those five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Melbourne from 74 to 72%, and in both of those cities, public transport gained mode share, so up to 22% from 19% in Sydney and up to 14% from around 12.5% in Melbourne. So you see, so they're, they're changes, but broadly it looks like a stable picture. But what we're able to do is we're able to look at the longitudinal data set from the Australian Census, mm-hmm. which is a subset of the census that tracks f- around 5% of the population from one census to the next. And so we were able to look at that to say, if you're working in uh, an Australian city between, in both 2011 and 2016, what percent of those people changed their method of travel over that period? And what was the story? And you, we could see that around 25 to 30% in Sydney um, 25 to 30% of people um, were changing the way they get to work. So in contrast to mm-hmm. this fairly um, stable overall picture, beneath the surface there is a lot of flux, there is a lot of movement going on. Um, we also see other other little changes that happen as well. So people are increasingly working from home um, in all five of Australia's largest cities. That's interesting. Yeah, so so there are there there is um there is a lot more to the picture than just a, a stable a stable story. And you mentioned moving house. That's a difficult thing to do. Is there much evidence that people are moving where they live to adapt to the pressures of a growing city? 
So there is evidence for that, although that's not evidence. That was um, evidence we're able to look at from other sources. So, mm-hmm. so at this stage um, in the longitudinal data set, which is what we would want to use to look at that question, um, that's not available, but mm. it will be at some point in the future. So we're very much looking forward to coming back to that question. Okay. Now, you also mentioned, Hugh, uh, new infrastructure. I think you might have suggested that's not the answer, but surely big new transport projects are a good thing for a growing city. Clearly there are going to be cases and we are going to need more infrastructure at some point, but I think what we're trying to emphasise is that we're not reliant on the next new big project, mega project, to save us from... Um, you know, the crowding that we've got in our cities. So right. uh, to look at that, we we looked at that through a range of ways, but um, in particular, we looked at the changes in the stock of roads. So how, much, how many lane kilometres, for example, of roads do we have in some of our cities and how much has it changed over time and mm-hmm. compared that with population growth. And so we saw that uh, over the period from 2010 to 2015, so that was the period we were able to get the data for, which mm-hmm. didn't perfectly match the census, but you can certainly match match it to population growth over that period. Um, and over that period in Sydney, the stock of roads grew from grew uh, by 2.4% over mm-hmm. that five years compared to population growth at around 9%. Mm. In Melbourne, um, road, the stock of roads grew by 4.3%. Population grew by 12%. 12%. And yep. in Brisbane, the stock of roads grew by just 1.1% over those five years, uh, and population grew by 10%. So you can see this divergence between the amount of roads that we're actually adding to the network and the amount of population we're getting, and yet we're still seeing these uh, remarkably benign impacts on commute distances and times. And sorry, Paul, the other thing that I should mention as well is mm. that um, when we do think about the mega projects as kind of the way that we're going to get out of all of, you know, the congestion that we're reading about or experiencing or the crowding on the trains, it's important to remember that even a project like West Connects, which is Australia's largest ever freeway project, mm-hmm. once it's complete, will add only around 0.3% to Sydney's total lane kilometres of road. Say that again, Hugh. Just 0.3%. So. Tiny amount and huge dollars. Huge, exactly. Yeah, over $16 billion. Similar in other cities, Melbourne's getting a huge new rail network, surely, underground. Yes, so again, uh, the Melbourne Metro project, Mm -hmm. um, that'll add around 1.9% to the total track kilometres of Melbourne's rail network. Importantly, um, you know, uh, particularly for the Melbourne Metro project, it it can be the case that those new track kilometres that you're adding allow you um, to duplicate duplicate parts of the network and to relieve bottlenecks. So you, it may be that your total service kilometres increases more than that, mm-hmm. although that's something that wasn't sort of readily available for us to look at. But, um, yeah, certainly the total amount of new lane uh, track kilometres is, is relatively little. Okay, so the messages that I'm hearing, I think, from you, Hugh, are that things in our cities are not as bad as many people might think. But I'm also hearing that things are not as good as they could be. So so what changes, if any, are you calling for? What is the report recommending with regard to public policy? Yeah, so, Paul, we're certainly not suggesting that every everyone has been 
commutes are better off over this period. Mm. And we certainly note that. Um, but I think what we try to emphasise is that we're not just kind of waiting for the next big project. And in the face of a lot of popu- population growth, people do adapt and cities do adapt. Um, and so that's really the key message. And so th- the report really is just designed, uh, the re- report's recommendations are designed uh, as ways for government to make the most of the ways ways that individuals adapt. Okay, so how do we do that? Well, probably a couple of ways. Uh, first of all is that governments should try and tread lightly on the decisions that individuals make. So, mm-hmm. so they sh- should focus uh, on removing barriers that people and firms face to locating where they want to be. Um, they should remove barriers to people moving house. So obviously we know stamp duty is a, is a major impediment, certainly in Sydney and Melbourne now, with the uh, amount of stamp duty that people have to pay when they purchase a house, a me- the median house price is over $40,000. Okay, so this is interesting. What do you recommend with regard to stamp duty? Because that's a huge revenue earner for state governments. It is. It's a huge revenue earner and it's a huge impediment to people moving. Yeah. Um, and so we see it as a particularly harmful tax. As um, And there are have been multiple previous Grattan reports that that look at exactly that. And so what we're saying is that um, all states and um, the Northern Territory as well should phase out stamp duty uh, and they should replace it with a broad-based land tax. That sounds pretty radical. Uh, You might think so, but not when you think about the fact that the ACT's already done it. So there's a model there um, and... um, so it can be done. It has and can be done, and it would make a it would make a significant difference. There was also to mobility. Also, another recommendation that uh, attracted my attention in the major cities of Sydney and Melbourne, you do suggest some changes to the way we make drivers pay. That's right, we do, and as we've talked about in the past as well, uh, we think it's time that Sydney and Melbourne look to introduce congestion charges. So what does that mean, Hugh? If there was congestion charging in Sydney and Melbourne, how might that work and why should we introduce such policy? Well, the idea is simply that um, you want to encourage drivers to stay off the most congested roads at the peak times of the day. Right. And so by charging them a modest fee to do that, you will be able to... um, either move the peaks or people will make other choices about how they travel and you'll be able to get the roads working in much more efficient way. Mm. Okay, so just sum up for me more broadly. At the end of this process, you've drilled into all the data, you've looked at the census information, you've been thinking about this for some months now and produced this fascinating report. (laughs) Tell me about Australia's cities. What, what, What state are we in? Should we feel good about where we're at and where we're going? I think we should feel optimistic. Um, Certainly what we have tried to present or what we've found is that the situation is not one of cities spiralling out of control. It's not one of migration bringing cities to a standstill. Mm. Um, And it's to emphasise the adaptations that can and do happen. Um, And so while we're optimistic, we're also very much of the mind that there are important government policies to be implemented 
to ensure that our cities continue to be able to grow and to continue to be able to grow effectively and to be places where, as we know, cities are these really economically prosperous and socially vibrant places and we want we want to encourage that and we don't want to go down the path that you do hear about from um, politicians increasingly these days about uh, ways to move people out to the regions for example mm. uh, I think they're very harmful policies not not to mention very difficult policies to ever try and implement um, and so we want to emphasize that cities are great places and we should continue to try and foster them and that there are important policies that can be put in place to let that happen. Thanks, Hugh. Thanks for your work on this fascinating report and thanks for your insights and your analysis today. And thank you to you, our listeners. If you would like to read the Grattan Institute's reports and articles on Australian cities, head to our website, grattan.edu.au. And you can stay up to date with all of Grattan's news and events by following us on Twitter at Grattan Inst or on Facebook, Grattan Institute. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, then please help your friends to find it by heading over to iTunes and leaving us a rating or review. Thanks for listening. Grattan Institute is uniquely positioned to bring an independent, rigorous and practical lens to big issues in public policy with the capacity to talk honestly to both sides of politics. We maintain this unique position through the generosity of the public and our affiliate companies. If you would like to find out more about contributing to our continued independence, head to our website to donate, grattan.edu.au. This has been a Grattan Institute podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes.